can't get past that one, but those two and It Is Well With My Soul are all three on my number two list. Well, it's good to be here this evening. Yes, I feel for that lady and her (laughs) diet restrictions, changes, adaptations. I think that's what, well, I could say what was wrong with me, but nobody would believe that. But the way I felt Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday of this past week, I'm pretty sure that was because on the trip back from Carlene's mom's funeral, I was trying to get her back to get her to the doctor before the doctor closed. So we stopped and ate wherever we had to. And so after five years, I ate at McDonald's. And it was pretty much disgusting. (laughs) I was expecting a real hamburger bun with the quarter pounder with bacon and cheese. I thought this is going to be great. I ate maybe half, two thirds of it. And I go, it wasn't that good. But I'm pretty sure that's what made me sick. We we settled for what we had to. There was on Carlene's phone. She found there's Carl's Jr. and it was supposed to be in the town we were coming up to. And we get there and it's not there. And then we realize, oh, they're building a new truck stop and it's going to have a Carl's Jr. <laughs> anyway, that was just the, another one of the interesting things about that week. <clears throat> So, okay, we'll get started in the, we better not start there, we were there last week, the book of Joshua this evening. Um, in case <clears throat> any of you haven't figured out yet, I'm a series type speaker, and we are going through the books of the Bible. Uh, if, if I live that long and I'm up here that many times, we'll just see how all that works out. These are uh, good books. All of them are good books, but some of these have some of the most famous stories. We'll touch on some of that, but it's not my, not my plan or my point to necessarily bring out the most famous stories in each of these books. But some of the highlights that stand out to me or that I have come across in my studies and research... <coughs> And so that's, um, that's where we're going to go, excuse me, <clears throat> this evening. Let's go to the Lord in prayer as we get ready to start. Father, thank you so much for the privilege to be here this evening, for each one that's able to be here. Lord, for each one in each of the uh, gatherings in the other parts of the building, pray that your blessings would be upon each part of the service. Pray your will and way would be accomplished, Lord, that we would grow and study from your, uh, study and grow from your word, Lord, and uh, there were lost ones in the other uh, settings, especially, Lord, that they might realize their need and come to know Jesus Christ as their personal Savior. Again, Lord, we love you. We thank you for the privilege to be here this evening and pray for those that can't be here tonight that wish they were. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Okay, the book of Joshua. Um, Where do we begin? Let's just begin with the outline, the basic outline of Joshua. Um, first of all, it, the first five chapters cover the preparation for entering Palestine, the promised land, 
uh, whatever various titles and terms the Bible uses um, throughout and men have even oftentimes attached to, that um, those things involved there would be uh, Rahab's help, um, Moses is buried and uh, his authority, his leadership is transferred, those type of thing. The crossing of the Jordan and the new generation uh, being circumcised. That had not taken place during the wilderness uh, journey. And all, of course, except for Joshua and Caleb <clears throat> had died. And so all of the males, uh, that had never taken place. So there's significance there, physical as well as spiritual, obviously. We're not going to go into uh, those things. But uh, the second part of the outline, the conquest of the land, that's chapter 6 through 12 primarily. The uh, ones that we're really familiar with, the Battle of Jericho. Um, there's a song by that, right? Joshua fought the Battle of Jericho. Of course, when you think of Joshua, Caleb, people in my age group, there's another song that's Joshua fought the Battle of Jericho. Jericho, Jericho. Um, and, and there's a song for that, but I'm not going to sing that. I'll spare you that. Uh, but anyway, there's a, the next thing was uh, the, at Gibeon. And then there's Makeda and the southern uh, city conflict or conquest. The northern campaign. And then the uh, roster of the conquered kings. Uh, is there, and I, I believe there's 30-something of them. Then the next one is the allocation of the land. That's chapters 13 through 22. And then the fourth uh, section of the outline deals with the final message and death of Joshua. That's chapters 23 and 24. And so it, it breaks down fairly simply in this book. Uh, of course, if you have or read, uh, as, as I do, chronological Bible. All of these books are intermingled, uh, especially through here. And um, it makes a lot of sense that way, but it also makes sense this way. The timeline, if you keep up with the timeline, that helps it make a little more sense uh, in the way that we read the scriptures. The book of Joshua basically is from 1422 to 1372. It covers just about 50 years, uh, is about the entire timeline of the book of Joshua. Now, as I've said before, I'll continue to say as my disclaimer, these years, this time frame may not be precise. I generally use the uh, time frame of, um, I knew I'd forget because I didn't write it down, but uh, the chronological Bible that I I read my daily Bible reading in, it uses these, this man's calculations. If you look at the Thompson chain or the Schofield, which Schofield doesn't use a whole lot of dates in his, although there are some through there, maybe later versions, mine's an old one. Uh, but he primarily went by a man named Usher who started dating things, I can't remember, but a long time ago. A uh, thousand years or more ago, he came up with a timeline. What's interesting as I look at these, for the most part, 
they vary by 15 to 25 years at the most. Now, if you get, if you get into the modern scholars, you can forget that. They shove things hundreds of years uh, into a different time frame, but that's to meet their needs of changing the Bible and making it fit what they want. Most of the, the old ones were very close, and, and I've like these because they seem to be a little closer to me, but they're estimates, guesstimates, whatever. Uh, some of it can be very precise, though, because we have so much in Genesis told us when this person died, lived, was born, and all that. So to go from there, um, chapter 24 and verse 29, let's go to the back of the book, and we'll work our way back primarily. Chapter 24 and verse 29. <clears throat> and it came to pass after these things that Joshua the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died, being an hundred and ten years old. And they buried him in the border of his inheritance in Timnath Sarah, which is in Mount Ephraim on the north side of the hill of Gash. So he was a hundred and ten. Uh, when he died, he basically lived from 14, um, what would that be? I'm confused. 1482 to 1372 is how long he approximately lived, or that's the timeline. He lived to be exactly 110 years old. The main theme of the book of Joshua is conquering Canaan. Uh, that's very uh, very simple and straightforward. That's, that's what it's all about. There's quite a bit of history involved and, and some details, but it's, it's the can- conquering of Canaan. So the promised land, uh, Canaan, Palestine, those three of the terms. Um, Kranz says Joshua leads Israel to conquer the promised land, then parcels out territories to the 12 tribes of Israel. Um, his fun fact is you heard the few fantastic stories from this book, uh, the Battle of Jericho and the Day the Sun Stood Still, which I don't even have that in my notes to touch on this evening, but it is a very cool thing. But most of the action happens in the first half. The last half is about divvying up the real estate. And to my knowledge, that's the last fun fact out of 66 books of the Bible that he gives us. So I thought that was interesting on his part. But uh, anyway, that's where we are in the book of Joshua. There's an interesting statement made, and it's that Joshua is first in order of the books of the Bible to, be, to have the name of the principal character. And that is true, but chronologically, that's not exactly correct because Job is much older than the book of Joshua. But in our, in our Bible, it is the first book listed to have a character as the name. And so uh, it is important uh, to remember that, but it is also uh, an interesting variation there. Joshua's name means Jehovah's Savior. Obviously, I think everyone probably, at least in here this evening, knows that, is aware of that. 
And so we see this type, this picture um, brought right into this. In fact, we'll just go to that as one of the types that we'll see in this book. We're only going to look at three, two or three and talk about those briefly. Um, Joshua, let me get on the right page here so I don't mess this up. Joshua comes after Moses. This also is a cross into the New Testament. I'm not going to turn to all of these because of the sake of time. But he comes after Moses. We know this. John chapter 1 verse 17 talks about that. Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 10. Galatians 3.23. Christ came after. Joshua comes after Moses. Um, Joshua led them to victory. We know of all the battles that are listed there, three or four we've already mentioned. Christ brings us victory, Romans chapter 8, 2 Corinthians chapter 1, and 2 Corinthians chapter 2. Also, Joshua was their advocate. Christ is our advocate. Um, When we suffer defeat, he's our advocate. Joshua was their advocate when they suffered defeat. The type is very important there uh, for the New Testament. It's 1 John chapter 2. And then in, uh, in our passage, it's Joshua chapter 7, verses 5 through 9. Also, uh, finish rounding out that type, Christ allots our inheritance. Joshua divided the land for them. Uh, we're, not in, we're not inheriting uh, this old earth, we don't want it. It's corrupt and it's falling apart and it's going to burn up. But we have a new inheritance and Christ allots that to us or because of Christ we have that. Ephesians chapter 1 verses 11 and 14 and Ephesians chapter 4 verses 7 through 11. So those are important pictures, types. That's, that's also something I, I don't remember if I've mentioned uh, it's important to remember that a type is just a type. It's not the exact thing. Um, I'll get to an example of that in a little bit. But one thing, I like history and I like to study things. There is a type of photograph that's called a tintype. Um, some of you probably have some of those, seen them. I'm going, well, hello, that's exactly. It's a tintype. It's a type of that, a picture of that person, but it's not that person. It's not three-dimensional. It doesn't breathe, talk, you know, any of those things. And so we always have to remember the types in the Bible, they're, they're excellent, and they bring us a picture, but it's not the exact same thing. And I, I'm going to go ahead and throw this in while I'm on the subject because I'm liable to forget it or miss it in my notes. But there was a time um, when preachers, pastors, um, they didn't think that they, they ought to own property, that it was wrong to own property. And so a lot of them ended up very poor and with no place to go when they got old. That came from the type that we are going to see here. In, it's not Joshua's type, but it's of the tribe of Levi. 
And we'll get to that. Matt's going to put us up a map here in a little while. And, and it came from that because when I was young, I grew up in a pastor's home and I heard that for years and years. And I'm going, wait a minute. And so we have to be careful that we don't take a type and make it a doctrine because it will cause all kinds of problems. The reality is the doctrine. The type is a picture to lead us to, bring us to, or help us to understand or get the point. And so that's, that's free tonight, too. It didn't cost anything extra. Uh, but I wanted to point that out. So let's go to, let's go ahead and do our types. Let's go to chapter 20. Joshua 20, verse, uh, let's start in verse 1. The Lord also spake unto Joshua, saying, Speak to the children of Israel, saying, Appoint out for you cities of refuge, whereof I spake unto you by the hand of Moses. Then the slayer that killeth any person unawares and unwittingly may flee thither, and they shall be your refuge from the avenger of blood. And I, I know I'm, I'm different. I love, I love the passages in the scripture that talk about the kinsman redeemer, the avenger uh, of, of the, the family avenger, whatever term you want to use. I, I love all of that stuff and it's pretty rough. Uh, in its own right, but it is such a beautiful picture. Uh, and so this is the, the cities of refuge are type where Christ is sheltering sinners from judgment. And that's exactly right. In Christ, we're sheltered from judgment. We're no longer judged. Uh, we're, we've been found innocent or not guilty because of the blood of Christ. His blood covered our sins. And the cities of refuge is a picture of that where they could flee. Uh, it wasn't for murderers. Um, it was for those who didn't intend to, but caused bodily harm, death. And they could run there and they had to stay until the death of the high priest. Uh, so they, they might have to stay there for as long as 50 years. On the, out the very outside. It, it could be a really long time. As long as they stayed there, they were safe from the kinsman redeemer. But if they walked outside the city limits, they were fair game. In fact, that's what David said. Was it of Abner? He said that he died as a fool dieth because he walked outside of the city limits to go get his, find some of his servants. <laughs> And the kinsman redeemer for that family was waiting on him. Uh, so that's, uh, that's just the way it was. But it is a great picture. Outside of Christ, we're in imminent danger of judgment. But in Christ, we're safe. It's, a, it's one of the really cool ones. Uh, all of them are. But then the other one, uh, and I didn't, didn't put any references down for it for sake of time. But also in the book of Joshua... Uh, for the first time since the wilderness journeys, they're going to observe the Passover. 
And so for 40 years, they haven't observed the Passover. They move, they move into the promised land and they, do, they observe the Passover. And this is another, of course, picture of Christ where the blood, I'll pass over you. We, you could write a really good song about that, I think. Um, and uh, he's our redeemer because our blood or his blood covers our sins. It covered the household. It's a, another wonderful picture. And so that, that's three types that we see in this book. There are way, way more than that. But again, we're, we're doing highlights. Okay. <clears throat> we go to chapter 14. And this is one of the most famous people in the scripture. But we needed to spend a few minutes on him this evening. Chapter 14 and verse 12. Well, we better back up to farther in the chapter. Let's let's read verse 6. Then the children of Judah came unto Joshua in Gilgal. And Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, the Kenizzite, said unto him, Thou knowest the thing that the Lord said unto Moses, the man of God, concerning me and thee in Kadesh Barnea. Forty years old was I when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me from Kadesh Barnea to espy out the land. And I brought him word again, and it, as it was in mine heart. Now let's jump over to verse 12. And Caleb says, Now therefore give me this mountain, whereof the Lord spake in that day. For thou heardest in that day how the Anakims, or however you want to pronounce it, that's my Texas version, were there, and that the cities were great and fenced. If so be the Lord will be with me, then I shall be able to drive them out. As the Lord said, and Joshua blessed him and gave unto Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, Hebron for an inheritance. Okay, so we have a promise given, a promise fulfilled. And Josh and Caleb goes, okay, I'm ready. Now, he tells us there that he was 40 years old when he went in to spy out the land. He was one of the 12 spies that went in. Now, I'm going to throw this in for free. It's just something, it's, it's like a warning. Be careful when you do your research, if you do research on the scriptures, of who you listen to, who you read after, or who you type in on the computer. Because I, I'm, I'm looking at some stuff, and all of a sudden I'm, I'm reading, and this guy goes, and Caleb went with Joshua as his assistant, to spy out the land. And I'm going, where did that come from? He was not Joshua's assistant at that time. They were almost the same age. Well, actually, Joshua was, uh, was a little younger. But, but Caleb was 40 years old. He just said that's how old he was. He was a, a grown man. Moses sent him in. He was one of the 12 picked. He represents a certain tribe. And we're going to get to that in a minute. That's Part of the reason this is the focus this evening, uh, because this is a major part of Joshua. In fact, Matt, whenever you get a chance, if you'll just go ahead and put that map up for me, I'd appreciate it. So he was 39 when 
or 40, when, when he went in to spy out the land to start with, they wandered for 40 years, so that would make him 80. So when he went into the promised land, he was 80 years old. But he's older than that. He says he's 85. It took that long before they got to that division. Uh, again, the book of Joshua covers a period of 50 years. They didn't walk into the promised land or Canaan or Palestine and, and then immediately get their inheritances. There was a lot of fighting that was done and then it was uh, split up. Some of them, you recall, didn't go in actually. They stayed on the uh, east side, two and a half tribes, which you can see. You've got Reuben, Gad, and Manasseh. Probably most everybody's familiar with that. Um, but Manasseh straddles the the uh, the line there because half of them stayed on one side and half of them went in. And so you have two and a half tribes on the east side and the rest on this side. Now, Hebron isn't on the map, but you see down there next to the bottom of the names, it says Judah. And that's who Caleb was of the tribe of Judah. And that portion there is the area that Judah inherited and he got Hebron. Uh, this, this is another thing. This is free. I have no idea. I'd never heard this one before. But Hebron is obviously very, very important. This is where Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Sarah, Rebekah, and Leah were all buried in, in Hebron. And Caleb got that city, that area right there. Now, if you look into the research... We're also told, or into certain scholars, that that was the entrance to the Garden of Eden and that Adam and Eve were buried there too. Now, I don't know where that came from, but that, I just try to point these things out a little bit at a time as we go along. Be careful what you start to, or put down as being fact because there is no biblical reference to say that Adam and Eve were buried in Hebron and that the Garden of Eden started there. But some people will say all kinds of things. And um, I, I personally, I don't believe that. And I, I'm not accepting that at this point by any stretch. But I know the others were. Hebron is also the place where David was anointed king. Uh, all of those there are references for, I can, uh, I can promise you. Now, this is the last time that we see Caleb mentioned, uh, I'll say, living. He's referred to in other places in the scriptures, but we don't, there's no more biblical information about Caleb. Again, from doing some research, I, was, I found a place that said he died when he was 100 years old. I don't have any... I have no scriptural basis for that. It would make sense, but there's no way to nail that down in any way, form, or fashion that I'm aware of. Uh, that's a, about a, a time frame we would expect when Joshua was 110, but that's just, again, free, and it's not necessarily right. I mentioned last week, and I, I've, I've still been doing research Caleb's, Caleb, the name Caleb in Hebrew means dog. That's, that's all there is to it. And it has a very immoral uh, basis for that term. 
And I struggled with that until I saw some other things. And one of those is that when we look in the book of Joshua, and I didn't, I didn't write down the reference for that. Well, I did too. It's chapter 2. Let's go to chapter 2. Uh, we're going to have to wrap this up pretty quick. Joshua chapter 2 and verse 1. Joshua the son of Nun sent out of Tim two men to spy secretly, saying, Go view the land, even Jericho. And they went and came into a harlot's house named Rahab and lodged there. So this is, this is what Joshua told them to do. And this is the place that they came to. And why is she important? We know what the term harlot means. Um, her name, the, the word Rahab, means broad. B-R-O-A-D. I suspect, I haven't done all the research and probably won't, but I, I suspect that's the derogatory term that at least people of my generation are familiar with for a female person who's not nice. Uh, I suspect it's come from long ways back. Now, that's just my, my assumption, but that is a term that was used uh, for many, many years, maybe centuries. I don't know. But anyway, that part's free, too. But the thing is, Rahab is in the lineage of Christ. So is Caleb. So if the, both of their names are derogatory, what does that mean? It doesn't mean anything except that God can use anybody and will use anybody that's willing to submit themselves to him. None of us have anything to brag about of ourselves. It's all because of Christ. And so... Uh, I see an amazing thing here. And uh, I mean, I'm, it took me 60-something years to ever get to understand some of this, but that's okay. Uh, I'm a slow learner, but, but I know that I'm nothing. But in Christ, I am somebody. I am something. And so it's, it's a wonderful picture. So Rahab married into Caleb's family in some form or fashion. I don't have the, I don't have the history on that. But he's of the tribe of Judah, and so is she, or her descendants are. So anyway, that's, that's some of the things we see here. It's a beautiful picture of what Christ will do for those who will surrender themselves, and he'll change us, he'll save us, and make us a new person. And uh, it, it's a wonderful picture. Now, in the, in the inheritance here, all... Well, actually, all 12 of the sons of Jacob are not, or of Israel are not mentioned there. There are only 11 of them who are actually mentioned there. Because who's not there? I mean, that's a rhetorical question, but if you want to answer, feel free to. Joseph is not there. His net, the there's no tribe of Joseph listed, but that's Ephraim. That's who, that's who got placed in instead of Joseph. Um, that goes back to the blessings, and I didn't write down that reference, but it goes back to the 
the reference to the blessings when Jacob was dying and he brought Joseph in and Joseph brought his sons and Ephraim, even though he was the youngest son, Jacob put his hands on top of Ephraim's head and Joseph tried to switch that because he knew Manasseh was the oldest. But he, he, wa- he wasn't blessed that way. Jacob knew what he was doing. God had a plan. That's, that's uh, clear in the scripture. But you also see Manasseh. So there's, there's 12 tribes listed there, but they don't, all of the names are not there. Ephraim replaces Joseph, but there's one tribe that got no land, right? That was, that's right, the tribe of Levi. They had no place. This goes back to what I was saying earlier, is that used to preachers would go, well, wait a minute, the tribe of Levi was a priestly tribe. They got no inheritance. They got no land. So preachers shouldn't, shouldn't own property because, no, that's a type that doesn't carry over. Um, I, I, don't, I don't know of any reason in this world why a pastor preacher has any less right to own a piece of property than anybody else in the New Testament church age. Uh, but anyway, that's free. And, and you may not have run across that, but it used to be very, very prevalent. And uh, I know some preachers that uh, spent their old age in poverty, and it was sad. Uh, but anyway, this, this, is, this is the way it, it laid out. And so we see Ephraim and Manasseh. Uh, there was a double blessing because of Joseph. And we don't see Levi because they were not given an inheritance. And so that's, if, if there's any, anybody ever says, well, wait a minute. Well, that's, that's what it is. Manasseh and Ephraim were Joseph's children, two, two boys. And Ephraim actually primarily got the inheritance of Joseph, and then Manasseh got that other area as well. So that's how, that's how that breaks down. Thank you, Brother Mark. I didn't think about having the lights turned out. So that may not, uh, may not answer any questions, but at least it does explain why the maps don't have the name Joseph, why um, Ephraim replaced that, and then the Levites didn't get any land, but Manasseh's group did. Okay. Just checking to make sure that I have covered everything I intended to. Yeah. Okay. We'll stop there. I'm sorry? <laughs>